This podcast was made in collaboration with Expedoc. You're listening to the Development Dialogues, an economic development podcast. I see economic development really leaning into serving underserved communities and population. The economy's not going to wait for you. You have to be on the forefront of that. What does success look like? Jobs. Brought to you by GMI Post. We've made it to episode six of the podcast, and it is also the last episode of this limited series for now. (laughs) I just want to emphasize for now. Who knows? We might be making more for you guys in the near future, but if you just tuned in, if you just uh, clicked on the development dialogues, welcome and thank you so much for clicking on our podcast. My name is Ryan, and together with Philippe, we talk to leading economic developers across the U.S. to know more about their stories and their strategies. Our guest on today's episode of the pod is not only an economic developer, but he is also a multi-channel marketing and communications expert with award-winning campaigns under his belt and... He's also an amazing photographer. With over 10 years of economic development experience and a marketing career that most people could only dream of, please welcome to the podcast, Greater Seattle Partners Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Robert Payne. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making time for us. Also on the podcast, we got GMI Post Director, Philippe. Hi, Philippe. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Robert. Thanks for joining us. Sounds great. Now, I am so excited for today's episode, not only because it is technically the finale of our um, limited series podcast, but also because, man, just looking at Robert's LinkedIn makes me say, I wish I had that career. (laughs) But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, As we usually do here on the podcast, why don't we start at the very beginning? Um, Robert, how did your career in economic development begin? What's your origin story, so to speak? Thank you for the question, Ryan. I appreciate it. You know, everything is a little bit serendipitous in life, but... After graduating with an MBA, I started working shortly thereafter for an interactive agency, the Reno Tahoe area. And they were really embracing Web 2.0 at the onset. This was before Twitter and Facebook and doing a lot of custom web development, web applications when the internet was in its infancy. And so some of the clients that we had were ski resorts like Heavenly Mountain Resort and Park City and Alpine, and um, but also economic development entities and convention and visitors bureau. So I got a real appreciation early on for how those entities impact the economy, the local economy, and create jobs, whether for tourism and getting heads and beds, and how those ancillary economic impacts trickle down into restaurants, into entertainment, how that bolsters the tax base. And then how economic development groups grow jobs and investment in the community. So that was my first exposure. Right. So what I'm hearing is your career in economic development actually didn't start with you as an economic developer. So with that, how did you become a part of your first economic development team? And which, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was Georgia Department of Economic Development. Correct. I was always on the for-profit side, 
or in the agency side. And so I happened to be living in Tampa, Florida, working for a Danish technology company. And I was looking at the Atlanta region and I saw a job posting with the Georgia Department of Economic Development. And I immediately thought, you know what, I am perfect for that job because it bridged commerce, it bridged tourism, it bridged entertainment. It incorporated all of those aspects I mentioned in terms of economic development entities, tourism. And then the bonus was that it also incorporated film, which as you probably know, Georgia and Atlanta have risen to be number two film destination in the United States. And there is also a big small business component, innovation. So it it really just rounded out my experience of technology, agency work, and all of that feeding into economic development. So, Gotcha. And Robert, what was day one for you like? And I ask this because unlike the other economic developers that we've met, it seems like you have a unique story in a sense that even though you were technically shifting careers, you weren't completely new to economic develop uh, economic development, right? Mm-hmm. Because you already have experience with dealing with economic development teams from an agency's perspective. So going back to my question, was your day one like, yeah, I got this, I know what I'm doing, or was it still a complete um, 180 for you? What were the emotions that you were feeling as you walked through the doors of Georgia Economic Development for the very first time? Yes, yes, I love that question because I will never forget the first project I worked on was a groundbreaking for a biomanufacturing company called Baxter. And we ultimately ended up in an air-conditioned tent on orange clay, you know, that famous Georgia orange clay. Wow. And basically in the woods. And in a, I think it was August. <laughs> and it was, at the time, the largest economic development project in the history of Georgia. It was a billion dollars and 1,800 jobs. And the site itself spanned three counties. And this was right after the economic recession. And mm. the people were emotional. And, mm. and so when this year with this company coming and bringing tangible, high paying jobs to their community, it was a big deal. And I could see it in their faces. They, you know, lo- one of the local towns brought out the choir. The governor was there, the CEO of, of Baxter. And, and that was when it really dawned on me that this was much bigger than slinging widgets or launching a new website or any of the other experiences that I'd had in the past. This was bringing hope to uh, a community. That sounds amazing. And you did that. And by that, I mean, you were a part of Georgia Department of Economic Development from 2012 to 2019. Correct. And then come 2019, you became a part of Greater Seattle Partners. Or was it 2020? Somewhere around that time. (laughs) What was the shift like for you? Yeah, it's certainly pre-pandemic, right around the time of the pandemic. Hard for me to get the dates right sometimes because (laughs) it was such a crazy time for all of us globally. But spent a number of years living out West and it was an opportunity to get back out West and enjoy uh, the quality of life, the beauty, 
of the Pacific Northwest and what Seattle has to offer. This is where connections matter and, and being involved with the International Economic Development Council out of Washington, D.C., the IEDC. I had um, done some thought leaderships and webinars with them. I had won a number of, of gold awards for different international and domestic marketing and communications campaigns. And so I felt very comfortable reaching out to the president of the time, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Finkel. And he suggested that I speak to the CEO of Greater Seattle Partners, which I did. And I was on a visit to Seattle and had coffee with him. Again, serendipity kicked in. The, the organization had to contract to get through the pandemic. They weren't engaged in, in traditional business attraction. Um, and so I came on at a time where, you know, the George Floyd incident had happened a number of, of small businesses were struggling because of the pandemic. And we pivoted into a, a, a type of economic development work that I'd never experienced before. And basically we brought together a task force of 200 plus people. And these were representatives from many different for-profit and not-for-profit entities around greater Seattle. And we ultimately produced a framework, an economic recovery framework called Forward Together. You can find it at forward-together.org. But it was it was amazing. I mean, I, I'll never forget one of my first virtual meetings at Greater Seattle Partners with, with two former governors and six mayors, all of which were women, by the way, which shows you just uh, mm. what a unique and wonderful place Greater Seattle is. But that mm -hmm. was interesting. That was really interesting work. And once we came out of the pandemic, we we pivoted and started getting back into doing more business attraction, talent attractions, you know, site selection mm. work and, doing, mm. you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's what, what first led me to Greater Seattle Partners. And I've come up the ranks. I'm now the vice president of marketing and communications, but we're a small but mighty team. So we really cross-pollinate in a lot of different ways. I mean, I, I've been involved in, in specific projects with RFIs and RFPs. I've been involved in various international trips, whether that be to Dubai or to the Farnborough Air Show or Paris Air Show, focusing in on, on our aerospace industry as one example. So it's been a, a dynamic experience, to say the least. Well, I, it's certainly courageous. I mean, coming at that period where the world was quite rocky, being able to navigate that period and utilizing that period essentially to strategize and sort of carve your path forward coming out of it. What are what were some of the takeaways that you guys were able to learn through that process of navigating the pandemic and, and coming out of it? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I, I think it, it's really part of the foresight of the founders of Greater Seattle Partners. If I go back to kind of the reason why Greater Seattle Partners or GSP was created, it was because there were a lot of disparate economic development entities across the region that weren't necessarily collaborating efficiently. So there was this real approach to say, let's practice regionalism. Let's all, you know, be operating kind of from the same playbook and that way we can be stronger together. And so we were the perfect convener to bring those people around. And to this day, it's still the case. Uh, we just launched an export accelerator program. It's all about being a force multiplier and connecting the Department of Commerce, the Small Business Administration, 
private partners like Exim Bank or our, our friends at the Port of Seattle so that we can all collectively come around and su support small and medium-sized businesses to help them diversify their risk, increase their profits by exporting. And so that, you know, that's just another example of where regional economic development can be, be so powerful. And then on top of that, operating in a public-private partnership. You know, it gives us the ability to bring the Amazons and the Boeings and the, the cities and the counties all around together to collaborate. So fantastic. So, you know, coming into the role now, you mentioned now you've you're handling your VP for marketing. You know, now that you went from from the agency side when you started to now being on on the client side, how would you describe sort of the differences? in terms of approach for marketing now, which is a, a region and your organization as a, as a, as a public-private partnership. What are some of the differences in terms of strategies and approach that you're seeing from, on the marketing side? Well, it's, the beauty of it is that you get the best of both worlds. What is synergistic about it is that I understand what it's like to be on the agency side. Uh, as well as the client, so I can play in that medium and hopefully be an effective sparring partner. I'm not just there to do templated marketing. I mean, that this new brand that we've launched back in April called Uncommon Thinkers Welcome, it was, we were very intentional about differentiating ourselves from other economic development entities across the nation and beyond. You know, look at Seattle. Seattle invented coffee culture, right? And you've seen every city and town around the world try to emulate that. And, and there's been so many other areas where Seattle has really pioneered kind of branding, marketing, innovation. So we really have tried to latch on all of those and say, you know what, we are unconventional. We are uniquely different than everywhere else. And we're going to figure out how to kind of capture that light in a bottle a little bit. And, and what's so great about Uncommon Thinkers Welcome is it's it's, it's not a label, it's more of an invitation. And so that experience, that, you know, moving up through agency and, and state level economic development, now in public private capacity, I've, I've just been able to bridge a lot of different gaps and look at things, you know, having lived in a lot of different places, kind of look through that lens and say, you know, how can I bring all that together and and, and we can help co collectively create something that's unconventional and helps us differentiate from the competition. Right. And Robert, how do you exactly do that? I mean, if you had to name the key to successfully marketing a region, what would that be? <laughs> uh, well, you gotta, you got to encapsulate your unique differentiators for sure. You've got to engage your stakeholders. You know, you, you can't do this. These things have been tried tried and failed so many times because folks didn't engage their stakeholders. Right. We first started by doing qualitative and quantitative research with our internal stakeholders across the region, both on the public and private side. Mm -hmm. We then took that foundational research and we went out to both domestic and international audiences. And what are your perceptions of Greater Seattle? You know, what does that yeah. look and feel like? And, um, you know, we interviewed folks in Tokyo and Singapore and London and New York and Boston. And we not only did we interview senior level business decision makers, but we also interviewed young professionals and talent. 
And so we took all of that collective research and we developed some brand pillars. And then from there, we took the, you know, those brand pillars and breathed life into the Uncommon Thinkers brand. So it was quite a process and it, it took many months to execute on. Yeah. I'm going to be a bit of a marketing student slash marketing nerd over here because it's so interesting to me and, and I'm keen to know um, what are the marketing channels that you guys use and have found to be effective specifically in the context of GSP, right? And the reason why it's so interesting to me is because you've got so many channels now, right? You've got emerging channels, you've got digital, you've got audio, you've got video, and you've even got your more traditional channels like print. So what are the channels that you guys use over at GSP? And what are the ones that you've found effective? Yeah, great question. And I have a saying, no single mode of communication is 100% effective, right? And so you've right. got to be firing on multiple cylinders. It's a mixture of, well, you have your foundational brand, right? There, there's certainly a level of relationship building that has to happen. And mm -hmm. then conferences and trade shows. It's also leveraging your partners. Look, don't listen to us. Listen to the businesses that are here. You know, what, what, how do they look at our economy? How are they succeeding? How are they struggling? How can we help them? How can we amplify their, their learnings to other businesses around the country and the world? So thought leadership is a, is a crucial component to it and how you mm -hmm. package that, right? Yeah. Fortunately, you, you know, with digital marketing, it's gotten more and more targeted, more and more sophisticated. As you know, with LinkedIn, you can certainly target both geos, mm -hmm. titles, industry sectors, and so on. But, you know, programmatically, I mean, these ad-serving platforms now utilizing artificial intelligence, some of the other things I just mentioned with LinkedIn, but that you can actually take your database um, and segment it and feed it into these programmatic platforms and just mm -hmm. continuing to get more and more granular and more and more sophisticated. And so that when you ultimately see some content from me, it's going to be very personalized to you. And, you know, we can always get better at that, of course. And then finally, yeah, having a really good influencer strategy, I think is also important. And so like when we launched Uncommon Thinkers Welcome, I spent an inordinate amount of time engaging companies and entities, both pro for profit and not for profit, to, to bring them into it. And we did an mm. extensive photography and videography shoot. I conducted numerous interviews with ex executives at these companies to get a sense of you know, their positioning so that it fit well into the Uncommon Thinkers umbrella. And then a lot of time developing a social media playbook so that when we rolled it out, we rolled it out together. And so mm -hmm. that day it was, you know, email marketing, social media, video, and so on. And so it was, again, very multi-channel, very focused, a lot of hard work in the background from a relationship building perspective. So when you shift into the economic development sort of sphere, do the barometers of success or the measurements of success differ? How does it change when you want to measure success when marketing a region versus your regular brand? Yeah. Economic development is much more difficult from 
two angles, one from a lead gen perspective and generating qualified leads and two, mm -hmm. continually communicating with your stakeholders that these things don't happen overnight. You don't sell an outdoor jacket when you immediately do an ad spend like that, like many other consumer brands and things like that. And in our world of economic development, you may get your brand in front of your target audience and they may take no action whatsoever. You may be able to measure mm -hmm. an impression or a click through. You may even be able to funnel them into your pipeline and enter into a CRM like Salesforce, but that doesn't mean they're ready to relocate their business right away. And there yeah. is, a, it can be three years, it can be five years even. I mean, we've had prospects that we touched initially that were not ready to relocate or expand their business and come back two, three years later to have a conversation. So I think it's very important to make sure that you do have a very well-architected pipeline and a lead flow mm -hmm. and that you can you know, accurately record those touch points along the life cycle of that that deal. So, yeah. yeah. It's uh, because once you've got a, an actual goes from a qualified lead to a prospect at that point, that prospect is interested in looking more closely at site selection criteria like available land or available real estate, mm -hmm. like utilities and other infrastructure, like logistics, whether they need to be a close proximity to air or port or rail, what the mm -hmm. workforce looks like, you know, in terms of average wages, number of degrees conferred, you know, how many engineers do you have in a particular category in your mm -hmm. um, MSA? So, you know, there's a lot yeah. that goes into that, right? To ultimately yeah. put out your press release that says this company has decided on Greater Seattle or wherever, where have you. So, I find that really interesting and, and kind of fascinating how the tools that the modern tools we have at our disposal today in marketing are geared towards accelerating the sales cycle or, you know, making things sort of a, uh, with a, with a faster payoff. And yet the nature of your work really entails playing the long game. So there seems to be a real balancing act on how to maximize the tools at our disposal while still keeping some sort of traditional marketing approach and relationship building approach across time. That's really interesting. Absolutely. Yep. And that's exactly it. Fantastic. So one of, one of the things uh, we also want to do here is find a way to share some of that experience and make some of that experience and knowledge useful to the next generation of economic developers coming up. So with your path, starting from agency to to government, then to public-private partnership uh, or organization. Would you advise that track or how useful is sort of that track to get into economic development? And, and generally speaking, what advice would you give to the, the folks out there that are looking at a career in economic development or would like to advance in it? Mm -hmm. Yes, Philippe. Uh, thanks for the question. I, I, Every day I clap my son on the back as he heads off to school and I say, study hard so you can be a marketer like your dad. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, if you want to be a traditional economic developer, there is a well-defined template through the IEDC where you can take 
courses to become a certified economic developer. And that's a great program. With that being said, being a a practitioner and living it day to day, there's no substitute when you're interacting with site consultants and brokers and utility partners and, and you name it. I think I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder when it comes to having marketing in my title and yet being in economic development because I try desperately at times to differentiate myself by saying, you know what, I don't just talk about ideas, I implement them and I implement them as damn well as I can. And um, and then mm-hmm. ultimately you develop the trust and you show results. And over time, you know, that makes the difference. And uh, I, I can give countless examples to that, but but I'll, but I think it's so important to can really consider who your audience is. And I, one of the things I would always do with interns and, and new employees is I would just give them a very simple task, which would be I want you to write a blog post on this subject, and that could be about aerospace and industrial manufacturing, life science and biotech, you know, whatever. And they go off and, and spend a day or, or two, you know, working on that and, and come back to me. And I would look at it and inevitably, uh, my first suggestion would be cut it in half, flip it upside down because you put all the important stuff at the bottom, break it up in bullet points. And and then the last thing I would say is, look, you really got to consider who the the target audience is here. You're, imagine you're talking to the CEO of Porsche. Why the hell do they care what you have to say? You've got to make them care. It's got to be relevant, valuable, informative to them, or it's not worth mm-hmm. their time. And so I'm looking at things through that lens always. And even, I mean, if it's video production, like, I, I, want to, I want to find out, you know, who that person is and what makes them tick, what gets them up every day and fired up for work. And by the way, what do you like to do when you're not working? because quality of life matters and place matters and ultimately storytelling it's got to invoke emotion and Mm -hmm. and get somebody to act and if your marketing and comms is not doing that then your results are not going to be good (laughs) especially in such a crowded marketplace so fantastic yeah so robert we're actually down to our last question for you here on the podcast if you had to summarize your entire economic development career into one lesson, what lesson would that be? Well, one time when I was in Georgia, I got a chance to go down to Porsche's new headquarters by the Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport and ride in a Porsche vehicle with a professional driver. And wow. it's, it, it was exciting thrilling and, and a little frightening because I'm a control freak and I don't like to be <laughs> in the passenger seat. Right. <laughs> so it's been like that, Ryan. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's had a lot of twists and turns, but ultimately I keep telling myself that what I do matters and that I, it brings hope to people. You know, all of the machinations and all the politics and everything that we all deal with in our jobs you know, hopefully at some point what I've done is, um, you know, given someone the opportunity to afford a mortgage, to take their partner out to dinner, to pay for their kid to go to college and to grow the economy in an equitable and inclusive way. Fantastic. 
Robert, thank you so much for your time. If people want to get in touch with you, if people want to get in touch with Greater Seattle Partners, where can they find you? Just Google me. You'll find me. There, there's, there's a few other Robert Paynes out there, but none of them are in economic development. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Development Dialogues, brought to you by GMI Post. Visit www.gmipost.com for exclusive country economic reports, investment guides, original feature articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of GMI Post. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, anything, or anyone.